Oh, that reminds me. Do you reckon Tyrone will be my best man? Oh, yeah, of course he will. Hey, you know what that means, don't you? He'll have to do the first dance with Sally. Ooh, what we having? Oh, don't worry. She rejected all of my suggestions and plumped for a classic. My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. I did point out that the boat sank at the end of that film, but... <laughs> hey, we should go out later, shouldn't we? Celebrate. Oh, I'd love that. As long as Bridesmaid Zilla's not invited. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 146 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that thinks we would have preferred if the whole of this week was just Sally spinning around in the wedding dress and Dr. Martin Boots, Sam Gavin. Wasn't it Abby wearing the Doc Martin Boots? I thought Sally was wearing uh, a pair of boots as well as she came running out of the, the office. I can't imagine Sally and Doc Martin. That's why it stood out to me. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> How are you? Way to question the intro. Seriously. You're, you're not the most observant of people, so I question everything you see. Huh. <laughs> like, for example, when I finally got your birthday present hung up, and you couldn't remember that I'd given it to you as a birthday present. Yeah, it was like six months ago. <laughs> and I looked at it once. Who could remember what happened six months ago? What did I get you for your birthday? <laughs> you got me my Doctor Who backpack and my Doctor Who t-shirt. See, I don't remember that either. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I carry it with me everywhere. That I backpack. thought it was older than that. Wasn't that older than that? No, that was this past birthday. Oh, that was Christmas. Wasn't that Christmas? It was that not was Christmas. Christmas. It was my birthday. Fascinating. <laughs> anyway, did you do a, an I'm? I don't think you did. It, it's fine. I think we've, we've moved on. All right. That moment has passed. <laughs> that moment has passed. Well, just a note for me. On, well, that'll be, that'll be March 14, 2022. There is no Helen I am for me to write down for well, last year tonight. I am, I am questioning your ability to remember things. Yeah, that works. Good. So we've got our housekeeping done for next year. <laughs> Excellent. How are you this week? Uh, you know, um... That took two minutes. <laughs> Ah, uh, you know, just keeping routines going and stuff. Next week is going to be a very busy week for my body. Mm-hmm. Colonoscopy and endoscopy on Monday. And up in the downy. Yep. Let's clean the tubes. <laughs> and then I get my first job on Tuesday. Oh, you do? Yeah. Where's that about? Yay, up in Lansing. I I haven't heard anything. I'm starting to wonder if I have actually put my name in. <laughs> I'll give back a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, it. which, which, who did you sign up with? I don't think I had a choice at that point. Well, because a number of different pharmacies you can sign up to get on their waiting lists. And then there's the Eatonbury Health Department, which is what I'm going through. Eatonbury, I, is that like a, is like a Loganberry or a... <laughs> Or a never wake up berry from from the blue lagoon. Uh, 
those women never wake up berries though. They did wake up. Right. <clears throat> Spoiler alert. Yeah. And and like the um the ones in the Hunger Games where you eat them and you really don't wake up and I can't remember what they're called. They were definitely based on the never wake up berries. Yes. Only they really worked. That was a twist. That's yeah. how Suzanne Collins got away from ripping off the Blue Lagoon. <laughs> Some of Brooke Shields' best work. Anyway. Yes, yes. Yes, because so much about the Hunger Games is similar to the Blue Lagoon. I think it's like Or maybe scene, just that one thing. It's scene for scene as far as I can remember. <laughs> but then I think we've established that my memory's not what it used to be. Apparently the children were outside playing a game called the Hunger Games last night with the neighboring children. <laughs> This is this town is going to turn into children of the corn just to get another movie reference in there. See, I went I went outside to bring my plants in last night, and I heard a child somewhere nearby shout, "Are you ready for the Hunger Games?" <sighs> and I said, "There's a wee I'm going back inside now." <laughs> There's a wee boy whose name is also Gavin, and we call him Wee Gavin. Yes, we call him Wee Gavin, and you're Big Gavin. I think it was him because above. Where we are is Stelly's bedroom. Correct. Twelve-year-old door. Yes. And then across from this window is where our neighbours are, so right. I can hear them when they're playing their trumpets or whatever and and stuff. And when they're when they're playing their little American Ninja Warrior thing, it's right <laughs> outside that window. Right. I think I was just sitting down to work on Wednesday when I heard <laughs> I heard what I think was me Gavin going. <laughs> and then there was a pause and then there was <laughs> and then there was a pause and then he just went Stelly <laughs> so he devised this little sophisticated as it was calling signal for our daughter it didn't work so he ended up just having to shout her name thus his plan was scuffered and so I don't even think caca. that worked because at that no. time in the morning she's got her headphones on and her windows shut. Right. Because <laughs> she's in school. So you're getting your vaccine. Yes. But this is good. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is good. <sighs> See, it doesn't feel like there's that much urgency about it anymore. And yet there should be mm. because um, I got three emails this week about somebody coming down with the COVID at at the schools. Right. Two at the middle school, one at the high school. And yet they want all the kids to go back to school now and then be three feet apart as opposed to six feet apart. This is why our children are still remote. <laughs> it feels like there's people this are so huge, good at judging six feet. But it, they're good at judging half of it. Uh, there's just such a huge push to put kids back in schools. I just don't understand it. It's like, don't we have bigger fish to fry? Mm-hmm. And yet apparently not. So, who knows? I know a lot of parents who are like us and are like, yeah, our, our kids are not going back yet. So, And yet a couple of school districts over, they're, they're back come hell or high water after a, uh, spring break. Yeah. It's crazy. People are like, kids don't get it. Yes, they do. And they spread it. And it's, it's, the, it's the spreading it part that's the... Right. Why don't you get this? I have, I have, I have a friend um, who's a psychiatrist in um, Massachusetts, and her whole family caught COVID from their thirteen-year-old. 
The 13 year old caught it and spread it to everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, and they were really cautious because she's a doctor. It's just insane. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting off my high horse now. Let's caught up. <laughs> How are you this week? Uh, yeah, I got some bad news. One of my uh, bosses from way back from Scottish Amicable Prudential, she passed away this week. Oh, no. Which I think is the third or fourth boss of mine from that era that's that's passed away. Wilma Kelso. What? Wilma's mm. gone? Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. She and I were Facebook friends. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. God. We've lost a lot of friends this year. Feels like it. She was a good. She was a good. She wasn't a good boss. She admits that she wasn't a good boss. But she, she was, was a, a good great person. person right? Yeah. What 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 happened? Uh, she'd been fighting cancer for quite some time. Oh. And I knew this, and it went back to I think uh, shortly after my mum mm-hmm. that she got in touch and she let me know, but she didn't let everybody know. Mm. I guess it doesn't matter now. But but I thought she'd got over it. And her daughter's due to give birth to her first grandchild in oh. June, which all there's always something like that, isn't there? Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, we've lost like four or five different friends of different ages, and mm-hmm. this year, I mean, people have had it much worse than us. Oh, absolutely. Right. Still, it's just, it's just stunning that it seems like every month you hear somebody else is gone. Yeah. So, and oh. the big. Meeting room in the sky. Wilma's there with Audrey, Audrey. Riley and Angela Kennedy discussing my poor performance for the, <laughs> 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 over the past 12 months and how I don't deserve a rise. Uh, that's not true. I got, I got on very well with all of them. Yes. Anyway, shall we preamble, my dear? And you always deserve a raise. <laughs> I say this as your wife and I'm not biased at all. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Give us some of that non-biased Cory news. <laughs> oh, wait. What? <laughs> I forgot you don't have that in post-production. I forgot that as well. <laughs> For, hence my, oh, wait. <laughs> Cory is getting some new competition. Oh? It's hard enough for the show to keep up with new kids on the block like Emmerdale and EastEnders. Now the BBC are... Getting set to launch one or more new soap set in the north or Scotland. What? Or Wales. This sounds very much like somebody had an idea. Or Ireland in the next three years. (laughs) On second thought, I think we're fine. Something might happen in three years somewhere. (laughs) That's the joke. Oh, okay. Oh, God. Anyway. It's it's being reported as news in other outlets. I'm not the only one reporting this as news. I'm just the only one. I don't think you have a scoop on this, but I, I'm just the only one with self awareness to say I don't think this is really something we need to worry about. No, and even if it was, do we worry about it? Maybe. I don't know. Former Corey star Gwen Taylor has made the jump to East Enders. The former Anne Foster will play grandmother to Stuart and Callum, whoever they are. <laughs> no idea. No idea. Cockneys, no doubt. <laughs> Do you watch EastEnders? Nope. No, you just watch Emmerdale. Yep. Emmerdale is the one you watch now. Yep. As well as Corey. And when I walk in and you're watching classic Corey or classic Emmerdale, I can't tell the difference sometimes. Most of the time. There's sheep in one of them. <laughs> I won't tell you which. I'll let you find out yourself. 
Finally, sad news is Faye Brooks does not win Dancing on Ice, although winner Sunny J says she totally should have. But like Billie Eilish at the Grammy saying Morgan Thee Stallion should have won, it it really means nothing if you don't hand the trophy over in it. What the hell? Don't 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 say somebody should have won. If you've won, you have the power to give it over. So just shut up, sit down, and enjoy your trophy, Sonny and Billy. And that's Corinus. I think you fucked off again. Did I? <laughs> it's just that at that point, like I was running out of space, and I didn't want to waste another piece of paper. I totally understand. Because there is such a lack of paper in this house. And that's Corey News. And that's Corey News. Oh, I'm going to have a good job editing that. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm, I may be unable to, just to throw on you. It's fine. It's fine. Our mailbag. Um, Canadian Helen got in Dutch. Yay! She says, I was listening to your episode about Sean not having any decent storylines. How about if Sean becomes the first person on the street to get COVID? That would be a good way to highlight the seriousness of COVID while giving Sean something to do. Yeah, be quarantined in Eileen's front room. I wouldn't mind that. No. <laughs> it 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 is it does feel kind of irresponsible for nobody on the show to have gotten COVID well, on only, the show. I mean we have through through reference, like we had this week. Right, yeah. And even that, supposedly it's just long COVID. So this is somebody who's recovered from COVID, which makes it confusing why Aggie's like, Well, I can't come because it's not safe. If you have long COVID, if you're having issues after, you know, after effects, that's not really the same thing unless I'm just totally misunderstanding the science and spreading false information. Anyway, yes, please. Should thought, we get I that? I thought the aunt had COVID. Should, should we get that hashtag started? Give Sean the COVID. <laughs> we'll see how that would develop over the week. <laughs> Snog Maria Avoid was a BBC make under programme. Oh, that's my alarm again. I need to, need to remember and switch that off. It's very unprofessional. Snog Maria Avoid was a BBC make under programme that ran for six seasons, 64 episodes from what? 2008 to 2013. The show focused mainly on transforming fakery obsessed or slap addicts in Britain into natural beauties by stripping them off their skimpy clothes and layers of makeup and giving them a make under instead of a makeover with the help of a POD, the personal overhaul device. Mm. Sounds a bit like such shaming to me. Uh. It doesn't sound like a very good show. Oh, I, I don't think it was. I think I've maybe watched one or two episodes of it. There was a celebrity version, I think. It's a bit like your dad saying, wipe that crap off your face and you're not going out See, in a skirt that would, short. I would present them like that and then ask people if they would snog marry or avoid them. And of course they would all avoid them. And then they'd take off the makeup. Right, yeah. They'd become the... Ali Shidi in the Breakfast Club, and all of a sudden they're oh yes, I'd I'd like to snog or marry that person now. That was a kind of gist yeah, of it. That's that's not a good. Did Tyrone do the dirty on Maria? In two thousand, he was engaged to Maria, but she broke it off when she discovered that he'd shagged Fizz. 
Ah. And then he kind of done the dirty on Fizz when they were on a break by having a quickie with Gemma. Gemma? Yeah, we knew this. Gemma, who is going to be who is technically his sister-in-law now. God. They really are, they really are just missing the banjos now. Because Gemma is engaged to Chesney, who is Fizz's brother, who is engaged to Tyrone. Yes. So they make a square there, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> I know this. <laughs> oh, that's how this tune goes. <laughs> Welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about half rice, half chips. I think this is my favourite title of all time. Is this about chili con carne? No. Oh. This was. Uh, Americans still don't eat it with rice. This was Abby taking the piss out of Tracy and her recently revealed sexual picadillos with Paula. Just half rice, half chips. Ah. She could go either way. Right, right, yep, yep. I was Gavin and you were nauseous. And this was following my explicit description of Tim's dad's bits in my intro. Yeah. We were getting to grips with our new situation and you nearly gave one of my workmates a show when you came into the room while I was in a conference. <laughs> Keyword being nearly. Yes. <laughs> and then that never happened again. <laughs> You've changed the angle now, so if I did come in half undressed, people would actually see me. Yeah, I had to. Because now if I stick my head in to grab something from the from the drawers, everybody shouts, hi, Helen. Mm-hmm. I'm in some meetings, though, where they don't know who you are, <laughs> like I was last night when you stuck your head in and shouted, Ray, my way, get my vaccine, bye. No, I was off to get a COVID test, bye. Mm-hmm. And then the whole conversation was like, what just happened there? <laughs> and I, I pretended that it didn't happen. Of course you did. It seemed to work. Because uh, you have to get a COVID test before you get a colonoscopy. Corey announced it's a bridged schedule. Alia puts her boggling <clears throat> fingers to good work as she finds out more shadiness than Tim's dad's past, while Tim's dad has more baths than Joseph this week. Ew. A trip to the vet gives... Even more than an eye water and bill as she bumps into someone she used to step out with in years gone by. That was a year ago and it was such it's a disappointing Yeah, such a disappointing end to it. And now she's seen somebody named James. Yeah, our friend James. Do we, oh we know James. Do we know James? Yeah. James is a younger lad that uh, we met when Tyrone first met Evelyn. Oh right! right. Yeah, we right. haven't heard of we, we not since then. Yeah, so this is kind of ridiculous. But anyway, c- continue. And I don't notice things apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Ken runs into Norris, a fellow resident at Shady Acres, but Norris paints a very bleak picture of life in the retirement home. The writer seemed determined to make Emma a doormat for Seb for the second time, as he and Alina deny that they still have feelings for each other. Michael annoys Grace. Neither David nor Gail work at the factory. Both hang out at the factory, and now one of them works at the factory. <laughs> Poor Gemma's struggles with the quads continues despite Bernie's best efforts and a horrible friend's worst efforts, and is quizzed by PC Tinker about her drinking habits. Remember, she was drunk when she was looking after the kids, and yeah. we all discovered that that's against the law. 
We learned more about Chesney's personal hygiene regime than we absolutely needed. Shona's magazine subscriptions are up for renewal. Hope wants to stuff Cerberus. Our moment of the week was Gemma's depression and our hopeful conversation with Bernie. And our boring moment of the week was pretentious Chinese-speaking man at Shady Acres. And that was Coronation Street and Talk <clears> of <throat> the Street this time last year. Yes. Pretentious white Chinese-speaking person. It was the Charles guy, was it? Yeah. Was it Charles? I think it was Charles. I think the key the key point there is that it was a white guy. He was trying to speak Mandarin and talking about all the times Mandarin, they went yeah. to. Yeah. Not an actual Chinese person. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline today is Harriet in the cellar. Will is in the cafe when Charles comes in worried that, the, that he didn't see Harriet at the Mother's Day service. He assumes that she's not well, so he buys some bickies to wangle uh, a brew over later. What? Will covers saying that Harriet is off to Dendike to uh, check on our parishioner. Gav? P- Gav. Yeah. <laughs> it's the wrong show. Oh shit, these are my Emmerdale notes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a podcast we don't do. So I don't know why you're taking notes. <laughs> Our first storyline today <laughs> Team Simon There we go, there we go. <laughs> I'm sorry but Emmerdale was just so much better this week <laughs> I don't doubt it Because I hated everything Almost everything that happened this week on Corey Again there wasn't an awful lot to like mm. Wednesday was probably my highlight and I've already talked about it a little bit. Anyway, on Monday, up in the morning, Leanna's getting done up, giving herself a curly blow to go and ask for a job back so she yes. can immediately get an advance on her wages And we all to pay hold our breath seeing a uh, hairdryer being used on Coronation Street again. <laughs> this could go either way. It could go either way. Simon says that he's the new Jacob, so it's on him now. She advises Simon to go see Kelly the Chin and see if he can convince her to keep her mouth shut. When he asks how he's meant to do that, she suggests he gets a curly blow of his own. <laughs> Wouldn't go amiss. In the hospital, Kelly is told by the uh, nurse exposition that the pill that she took wasn't ecstasy after all. It was a nasty chemical because drugs are bad, okay? <laughs> Kelly seems reluctant to say whether her false parents are intending to visit her, but then Simon shows up with on-point makeup and hair. No guessing why you're here, she says. And he says that he came with intention of tugging on her heartstrings, say that he got involved in all this business because Leanne couldn't cope when Oliver died, that he's not a bad person and begged for her not to say anything to the police. But now that she's here, it doesn't seem right. So he tells her to do what she has to do, even if that means turning grass. And he leaves, and she seems touched by his speech. Meanwhile, Leanne has bumped into Imran and, after a fashion, asks for her job back. No problem, he says, but when she asks for an advance to cover some bills that she's fallen behind on, he's less keen. Mm. Come back and let's see how you got on, because you haven't officially restarted this job yet. Right, yeah. Maybe give it a hot second. Correct. Sure, says Leanne, trying to mask her disappointment, but then she sees sucker number two, Nick, coming out of Roy's rolls. Mm-hmm. Billy goes to spring Kelly the Chin from hospital. She reckons this means that her foster parents don't give a shit about her, but he insists that they do. But he's been in her situation, yes he has, and knows how much she needs friends right now. So he tells her to visit Summer whenever she wants. They're about to leave when PC Tinker comes round the corner and wants Kelly the chin down the station. Dum dum dum. That was a strange... Yeah, why, why, why right as she's leaving? Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, we, we need to ask you some questions. 
Why didn't the police come and question her there in the hospital? Why are the police involved in <laughs> Why are the police involved in this at all? Uh, because taking drugs is illegal. Yeah, but as, as we as we covered when I spoke to the nurse and said, "What would happen in that situation? Would you call the police?" Nah. Well, apparently, because you know they're there to make her better, right? So, well, apparently, somebody called the police, or you know, the police were called. Maybe when they when they called nine 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 for the ambulance, I'm sure the police were made aware at that time because nine 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 goes to you know is a central hub, like nine one one is. Yeah, but they don't necessarily unless you say that you need the police. The police don't come. The police weren't needed in that situation. An ambulance was needed, and that's why an ambulance was called, and that's why we saw an ambulance. Hmm. I don't think the police would have been involved in this. And I don't, certainly don't think that later on Kelly's going to get charged with possession. No, charged with dealing. Because mm-hmm. there were two pills. She didn't deal any of it. That, But you know what? This happens all the time. If you have on your possession more than one dose, you can get charged as a dealer. That's how they get you. That's why there's so many people in prison for dealing who aren't actually dealers. Oh, defund the police. <laughs> um so Leanne, who doesn't work at the factory, shows up at the factory to see Nick. She tells him about the job and then asks for a loan. He wants to know what it's for because they love each other and share details like that. And when she refuses to say, he refuses to pay. Mm-hmm. That rhymes. Yes. And and then he says, next time, show up wearing just a pair of knickers and a fur coat. He, he was on, a fo- he was he was on, on the a phone, phone yeah. to someone and he said it was all... Fur coats and knickers or all- something? And no knickers, all furs and no knickers, or something. Right, which which meant that uh, it was apparently all style, no substance. I think is what the saying is. At the station, it turns out that Imran has been assigned as Kelly the Chin's duty solicitor. That's coincidental, isn't it, Helen? Yes. Billy's appalled as Imran thinks her dad's a murderer, and Kelly deserves someone to fight her corner. I know, says Imran. That's my fucking job. So Imran preps Kelly in the meeting room, urging her to reveal who sold the drugs, otherwise she could get done for uh, possession and dealing. Which I think is bollocks, because she wasn't really in possession of either, because she took them. At home, Leanne is furious. Well, she had to be in possession of them before she took them. But she's not in possession of them, and she didn't get caught in possession of them. Mm. At home, Leanne is furious when Simon reveals that he told Kelly the chin to tell the truth. There's a bang at the door and they think it's the police. And while they argue about whether Simon should hide or not, Nick lets himself in. (laughs) Tearfully, he explains that he saw it about the fur coat and no knickers thing. And here's half the money. It's all he could get. And then he leaves them to it. Leanne thinks this should be enough to keep Harvey happy for the time being. Hmm. She doesn't know very many drug dealers. So Leanne is full of piss and vinegar when she goes to Harvey's car and introduces herself as Simon's mum. I'm Simon's (laughs) mum. But Harvey doesn't give a fuck about this. And Simon owes two grand, not one. Leanne says something that could be construed that she was intending to go to the police and he reacts very badly to this and Leanne's bravado vanishes. Get Simon to get these fucking drugs sold or the pair of them will wish that they'd got off as lucky as Jacob did. It's turned out, it doesn't sound like he's dead after all. Leanne goes back to the flat and tells Simon that his ordeal is over. He runs off to get other slippers to celebrate and we see that she has a big package of drugs in her purse. She's the new new Jacob. Mm-hmm. She gets a text with an address, so she rushes back out, claiming to be off to see Nick. Thankfully, <coughs> Kelly has had the common sense to deny everything and has been let go. 
Billy offers to take her back to her foster home, but she refuses to go because of that new boy that she won't shut up about. And Man and Billy stare at each other, agog. Yeah, it makes me wonder, because it, it sounds like this, you know, at first I thought it was just like an annoying kid or somebody she just doesn't like, but it sounds like this is somebody who is potentially dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Or abusive. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of wish they would explore more. It feels like that would have been a much more interesting storyline than drugs. Yeah. It also sounds like it's a care home problem more than a foster home problem. I don't know. No, you can be fostering more than one child at a time. Yeah. If angels in the outfield has taught us anything. (laughs) Indeed. Ashley gets home to find Dev in her reflective mood. He doesn't want her near Kelly the Chin ever again, and they argue until Ash admits that she was the one who bought the drugs. She hates herself and just wanted to forget that for a few hours. Dev shouts that the next time that happens, maybe she should think of the consequences. Right, Kelly could have died. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden he cares about Kelly. That's all we see of him. Uh-huh. Back at the flat, Simon gets a call from Kelly explaining that she didn't drop him in it. Then Nick comes back in looking for Leanne and to complete the meeting confusion set up for later on. In talking to Simon that Sam still hasn't got over his trauma of seeing someone get out of the boot of a car <laughs> and Simon is shifted about what's going on. Meanwhile, Leanne is selling her drugs in an area of town so dodgy you'd expect Will to appear out of the shadows and pretend that he's being abused. <laughs> she hands over the drugs to the guy that, but he's heard that Harvey's been selling some dodgy shit so he tells her that she's going nowhere until he's checked it. A guy with a massive mane of hair. Mm-hmm. I bet Leanne's glad that she's all dressed to the nines for this transaction. Yes. But it turns out the stuff is fine. The guy tries it on with Leanne, but she threatens to tell Harvey that he tried to rip her off, and so he stands aside and lets her run back onto the street. Billy's been on the phone to the social services, and she has to go back. She refuses, and then learns that Imran and Toya Foster too. (gasps) Is it not a coincidence? Well. Didn't I call that? We both called that last week, yeah. Great, says Kelly the Chin. I'm stopping with you then. Billy tries to explain that it doesn't work like that, not even in soaps, but Kelly has made up her mind. Nick catches Leanne on her way home. He refuses to be fobbed off. Something's going on with Simon. It's written all over her face. What the fuck is going on here? So they go to the factory where Leanne almost tells Nick the whole thing, but she misses out the bit where she couldn't find the extra grand, so is now running drugs for Harvey. He still smells bullshit and calls her on it. Asher meets Kelly in the community garden and apologises. Kelly accepts it, says that it might have worked out for the best if Imran ends up being her new foster dad. And besides, she's taken the ecstasy tons of times. This isn't anything new. Asha is surprised at this and realises that the tough life that she thinks that she's had isn't so bad by way of comparison. Hmm. And back home, Leanne wants Simon to stop working at the chippy and then gets a call from Harvey. He's quite the micromanager drug dealer, isn't he? He really is. Jeez. Just let me do my job, Harvey. Don't need you hovering over me all the time. Mm-hmm. She thinks that they're square now, but he decides when they'll be square. And in the meantime, he's lined up another delivery for her tomorrow. Ugh. On Wednesday, Leanne's off to work. How tra- can she think that they're square when she did not give that other guy nearly that whole block of drugs that she's got in her tote bag now? Big block of drugs. Big block of drugs. Stuck in a tote bag. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a fun-loving criminal song. <laughs> it does. A little 90s reference there for the kids. <laughs> Smoke them if you got them. 
On Wednesday, Leanne's off to work chatting with Nick about having the boys for tea. He offers Sam to cook for them all, but she suggests going to speed dial because they only ever eat there four or five times a week. Toya comes over and apologises for being brisk the last time that they talked, but it's all water under the bridge, says Leanne, who hurriedly wants to go uh, break off the conversation and go to work. At speed dial, Sam is boring everyone with some hot curry facts. Leanne isn't there and Nick is worried that she's going to be a no-show, but on the positive side, Simon apologises to Sam and they seem to be friends again and it transpires that Natasha will be coming back from that London <gasps> tomorrow. What? Sam has taken Simon outside to point at the moon when Leanne <coughs> arrives. She's got caught up in something and is sorry that she got... She's got caught up in something and is sorry that she's late. She and Nick talk, but it's awkward and it's still clear that Leanne isn't... Uh, isn't doing great so much so that Nick sheds a solitary tear mm. poor Nick on Friday Sam I don't think he works at the factory but he turns <laughs> he up at the factory wasn't he doing their uh, legal and compliance work <laughs> I think. And, then, and Nick does say this week that he should put Sam to work in the factory he wants to give him a job work on the sewing machines yes that, that we hardly ever see anymore Right, and he identifies one of the the bits. I can't remember. Yes, the, the, the um something dog wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then Natasha, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory to pick up Sam, who doesn't. Well, you get the idea about that. Sam and Nick had planned to watch Rocky Four, but that'll have to be put on the back burner because now Natasha's back. Nick will be moving out. Nick looks like he's worried that he may have forgotten to clear the history of Natasha's PC, and then flicks a tear away from his eye, pleased to be handing Sam back. To its rightful owner. Mm. Nick goes back to the flat and Leanne's there. Imran's told her that she can do her filing from home, apparently. Having something to concentrate on is helping Leanne. He brings up the fact that Natasha's back and he can't live there anymore, so he's looking forward to moving back home. He's ready for it. Well, she's not. Everything's a mess and it's still too soon. Even though it's his place. She tells him that she loves him and asks him to be patient. And then a solitary tear tumbles down Nick's cheek like a heavy raindrop trickling down the leaf of a daffodil, bending its stem until it falls to the ground. And as it plummets to be absorbed once more <laughs> into the earth, it thinks to itself, not again. And then it thinks, yeah, this is all very well and good, but this is my fucking house and I've nowhere else to live. So like it or lump it. Right, yeah, it's... I, I don't know if it was Christy or if it was the former... The, the Twitter handle formerly known as the Ben Price fan page... <laughs> Who, we'll uh, an acronym for that. <laughs> who tweeted Start. who tweeted at uh Coronation Street this week asking who pays who pays the rent and the Coronation Street Twitter handle just very coyly said, Well, who do you think mm. is paying for it? Winky face. So <laughs> they don't know either. What could that possibly mean? I think it means no they don't know either. Right. Nick, Natasha and Sam are at speed dial because it's been 24 hours since they were last there. Right. Nick explains about Leanne not being ready for him to move back in the flat, so he's going to have to find a short-term rental or sleep at the factory or move into number eight or sleep on Audrey's couch or any number of options that are available to him. Sam suggests that he stays with them and Natasha is fine with this. Nick just has to check with Leanne first, but this sounds like a great idea. Uh, And that's as far as we get with that this week. Does that really sound like a great idea? It sounds like what we thought was going to happen the first time round is going to start to happen now the second time round. By the time Leanne is ready for Nick to move back in, Nick and Natasha are going to be... Back together. Making a little Sam number two there. (sighs) 
Well, and then Leanne's just going to have to fall in love with Harvey, isn't she? Because people have to fall in love with somebody, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I hope that's not... <laughs> the whole Alina and Tyrone thing Again, has I'll... proven anything to us is that somebody has to fall in love with somebody for no apparent reason. So yet, maybe this is a time where that doesn't happen. <laughs> Because based on history, where every time this has happened, mm. maybe this is a time it doesn't happen. Maybe yeah. Nick and Natasha don't end up. And you know, at least Natasha at first was like, "No, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea, Sam." And then Nick's like, "No, no, it's fine." She seemed very, yeah. She just she wasn't keen on the idea. No, she but didn't. she wasnn't dismissive of it. She was just okay. Fine, if you have nowhere else to stay, then then sure. Yeah. Because I think Nick is now... She kind of gives in to everything Sam wants right. already, so... But Nick has won her over in his uh, looking after Sam, because her whole uh, concern at the start, or so she said, was that she didn't want somebody just to be coming in and out of Sam's life. Right. If you want to be part of Sam's life, then you're part of Sam's life forever. Right. And he seems to be loving up to that side of the bargain, yes. so, so he has some some bargaining chips with her absolutely now leanne not wanting nick back is that just because of the whole drugs thing i think it's just because of the whole drugs thing if it wasn't for that she'd be she'd i get the impression that she'd be kind of desperate for him to come back and yeah a bit of normality pay the again bills. right <laughs> pay the fucking bills mm. Mm. and now simon who has kind of caused this whole uh, maelstrom of, right. of has no of idea woe is back He's, to normal and, right yeah and being and all is forgiven kind of cocky as he comes in saying oh what are you a walking talking uh, encyclopedia curries eh uh-huh. little cheeky chap as he comes into speed dial right. having some banter some top banter with Sam he the being brothers all his bother has now right has just now evaporated lifted off of him mm-hmm. do you think that's going to last does Harvey care about Simon anymore now that Leanne's doing it? No, because or, I think I think Leanne is a much better option for him than some stupid kid who, like Jacob, is going to get caught or get in trouble or something. Or rip him off. Something's got to happen, though, because, you know, if he's passed around dodgy pills, but also not dodgy pills, that whole thing just kind of confuses me, too. The whole dodgy pills, not dodgy pills. It was a strange... Uh, and how did that guy test whether or not they were dodgy or not? Did he take one? Because he didn't really seem high. I think he's got a mass he, spectrometer in the house. <laughs> analyzes the, the chemical again. makeup of the, of the compound. He looked the type. Yeah. And it looked like the kind of flat that would have <laughs> multi-million pound <laughs> medical or scientific equipment in it uh, our next storyline today is Bridemaidzilla I think this was the only bit this week that I, that I really enjoyed and see I didn't really I wasn't I wasn't hugely happy with a lot of this <laughs> well let's find out which bits poor Abby on Monday Abby has got the week off and Kev asks her if she's going to get some wedding stuff sorted out but she doesn't really know what that means and so uh, she asks him for a list of things that he has that she has to do. He hasn't got one, but knows someone who has. And then Sally shows up with binders and enthusiasm. Right, yeah. he's Without Abby's knowledge, he has gone to his ex-wife 
yes. to ask her to plan his wedding yes. with Abby yes. without talking to Abby first. Correct. This isn't weird. Sally, predictably, sure. is a fucking nightmare. Well, maybe not so much, but Abby isn't keen on the regimented approach. She's about to ask Sally if she wants a bag of cheesy poofs, but Sally thinks that she's about to be asked if Sabby wants to be her maid of honour. Sabby? Sabby. <laughs> Sabby promises to focus, but now... Ali? <laughs> that'll do. Really wants to know who Sabby wants. Later, Abby stomps round to complain to Kev for inviting his ex-wife to be her <laughs> wedding planner, who has now made herself maid of honour. Fizz is there looking for Tyrone, who probably who's probably at home having a cold shower thanks to another storyline. Kev wants Ty to be his best man, which means he gets to dance with bridesmaidzilla. <sighs> In the pub with Fizz and Jenny, Abby's complaining about Sally and saying that she doesn't even want a maid of honour. Everyone thinks it's because Sally is Kev's ex, but Abby insists it's got nothing to do with that and they're really good mates. This seems to put a bug in Abby and she rushes off without ordering to tell this to Sally, who thought that she had been asked, but turns out she actually demanded to be the maid of honour. Right, and she also apparently has been shooting down, you know, what Abby wants for her her first dance and, and all this other stuff. It's saying, no, it has to be, my heart will go on from Titanic. Yeah. Which was just a lead into the joke for Abby to say that boat sank, <laughs> I think. It's just, you know, first Kev blindsides her. And then instead of helping her, Sally just is trying to make her into somebody she's not. Right. She just takes and, over. And yeah, when she just had her own freaking wedding. So if she wanted to do all of this stuff, she should have done it in her own freaking wedding. For Pete's sake. She just likes weddings. Well, I like weddings too, but I'm not going to tell somebody that they can't have, you know, that they have to have a certain song or force myself to be the matron of honour. She doesn't want a bridesmaid and she doesn't want a fancy traditional do. It makes her feel like a fraud. Sally tells her no one deserves us more than her and she should have whatever kind of wedding makes her happy. So Abby wants Sally to be the one to marry them. She becomes the celebrant. And Sally... Is in. Yes. Yes. And where was this whole you should have the wedding you want at the start person, of the day? At the start of the day when she was forcing her to dance to Celine Dion. As much as I liked this. And I did like it because it's Sally. There's so much of this is lifted from the copybook of friends. <laughs> Sally is uh Monica trying to arrange Phoebe's Wedding. Absolutely, yeah. And, and then we Abby have, is Phoebe. And then we have everyone trying on the wedding dresses a little bit later. That also happens. So. Yes, there's no beetroot in, in Friends, though. No, thankfully. <laughs> on Wednesday. So thanks to Kev last week, Debbie goes round to see Abby and offer her uh, services. She goes on about how she knows someone who knows someone who has a wedding boutique and they owe her a favour because Debbie covered for her once when she got her hole off someone during the Bride of Chucky. I'm not sure I wasn't paying attention. Abby tells Debbie to keep her fucking nose out of her business. So she goes to Roy's Rolls and sees Trace and complains about that bitch Debbie who's ferrying in loads of designer dresses to the bistro for a dress party with champers, a finger buffet and a private chef. What an utter cow. And when Abby tells Tracy to go uh, along with her for some moral support, Tracy bites off her hand on the proviso that she doesn't have to be nice to Debbie. 
So they land, and, and she's not nice to Debbie. No. So they land on the bistro, and immediately Sally comes sprinting out of the, out of the office in a dress and then spins for a good couple of minutes. And then she's a bit put out when she sees that Tracy's in tow. Sally's a celebrant. Sally. But the sight of Sally in the wedding dress gets Debbie and eventually Abby keen to dress up themselves, leaving Tracy to get wired into the vino. Abby's not keen to dress up. They she kind of rushes off. They f- no, she doesn't. They force her into both dresses that she tries on and she's not happy with either one of them. Debbie and Sally are getting into the swing of things, trying on dresses. Abby has tried on a dress too, but seems to be doing squats and stretches to see how good it would be in a fight. <laughs> Tracy is in no mood. And she's wearing her Doc Martens. To hand out compliments and thinks they all look stupid. But Debbie has one more dress to try for Abby. And what is that tattoo she's got on her arm? I can tell. It looks like there was a lot going on in it. Yeah. I'd like to see I'd like to see that more close up. But Debbie has one more dress for Abby to try on. And if, it, if she doesn't like that, she can get married in her brand pants for all Debbie cares. She even offers to pay for the dress. Abby mutters under her breath that she's doing all this for Kev, then picks the knickers out of the crack of her arse and follows along at the back of Debbie. The other dress is nice, but Abby isn't happy and reckons that it's all because of Debbie. Sally well, sighs. If she this, can't breathe in it. If this continues, it's too tight and it's not Abby's style at all. It's going to make for some very stifled family photos, says Sally. And Debbie makes all these really rude comments about, well, you know, of course you don't like it because you're you're lower class and you don't understand the finer things. And it's like, fuck off, Debbie. <laughs> it's Kev I feel sorry for, says Debbie. And Tracy encourages Abby to lamp her for everything that she's done. Abby shouts boo and Debbie, in a white dress, falls backwards onto Tracy's beetroot salad. But not like that. But which, it, for some reason, Tracy had left... On the banquet. Yeah. And not on the table. Why? Debbie wants Just to so kill. Debbie can fall into it. Debbie wants to kill Abby and then Tracy. She looks like a baboon with piles, according to Tracy. Sally helpfully points out that a baboon's red arse means it's ready for its hole. Horny or hemorrhoid, says Abby, but all the laughter dies when Debbie reveals that that dress cost five grand. Why would the why why would the laughter die down? None of them have to pay for it. Exactly. Debbie maybe has to pay for it, but none of them have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Debbie's the one who got these dresses. Debbie's the one wearing the dress. Debbie's the one who fell into beetroot. Yep. None of this is anybody else's fault. That's kind of Abby's fault. Well, she shouted boo, but she doesn't have to pay five grand for a dress that's ruined. I did wonder why this was a thing that that brought a little bit of calm and civility to the occasion that someone was going to be out of pocket for five grand. Right. And the designer wedding dresses, of course, five grand actually sounds rather cheap. Back in their civvies, Debbie's trying to get the stain out. Sally has found a pair of marigolds from somewhere. And Tracy's suggestion... She carries them around in her purse. <laughs> Abby throws some white wine on the dress and it's just getting worse. Debbie throws out Tracy and Sally. Abby, you stay fucking put. So Debbie and Abby clean up the dress, but it's not really no, working. Debbie made Abby try to clean... Abby's doing all the scrubbing. He's like, why is Abby doing this? Why... Why is this Abby's fault? Abby didn't even want any of this. She didn't want the dresses. She didn't want to do this. None of this is Abby's fault. It's all down to Debbie. Why is she making her scrub it and making her feel guilty about all of this? Nobody should be making Abby feel guilty about anything when everybody's trying to force Abby to be somebody she's not. I hate this. You're stealing my joy. Poor Abby. As they chat, Debbie apologizes again for everything. And this time, it seems to work on Abby. And she quietly acknowledges her. 
And when Debbie calls her friend, it turns out that the dress was just a sample, so there's no charge after all, which surprised me, let's just say. She and Abby laugh as Kev comes in. He's spoken with Sally and was expecting World War III, but he's pleased that they've turned sisterhood. And on Friday, Sally somewhat predictably has taken the celebrant thing very seriously. She needs her part to be original, creative and memorable. She needs to deliver something that encapsulates the couple. Tim points out that Kev likes the grease gun and Abby's fond of the compressor. Again, not like that. Mm-hmm. Sally orders totally Tim like that though. off to have a shower so he can stand in for Kev during the rehearsal. And the stand in for Abby... Who's available? <laughs> oh, it's Kirk. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense except because to, to sure. be a joke. It's it's just meant to be a joke because what? There are no other women on the street. Faye's not upstairs, just waiting to come down the the staircase of discovery. Mm-hmm. Ah. They compare chest hair to see who gets to be the groom, and Sally doesn't know why Tim is in such a mood, but he reveals it's because Kev has asked little Tyrone to be his best man while Tim asks Kev to be his best man at both his weddings Kirk points out that this way Tim has no responsibilities and can just get bladdered and that seems to put a little bug in Tim's ear then Tim bumps into Kev and Abby on the street and they ask him to join them for a pint why don't you ask little Tyrone says Tim and he keeps walking Sally comes by and says that Tim is feeling left out and asks if he can be involved Abby insists that she's not having bridesmaids (laughs) <laughs> that, was, that was funny and nobody re- <laughs> nobody um, reacted to it I think well maybe Kev looked a little bit pissed off but nobody, well, nobody I mean, chuckled it was pretty funny I think one of the things she's saying is you know and this is going to look really weird because he's already got a best man so if he has an usher or something and there's nobody standing on Abby's side I don't think that's what she meant at all I thought she that's meant what that I Tim could she be meant. the bridesmaid <laughs> See, I thought it was like, look, I already told you I'm not having any bridesmaids. It's already going to be weird that you're going to have a best man standing there and I'm not going to have a maid of honor. Oh, I I don't think you've read much more into that than I did. Mm -hmm. I just took it as, well, we'll see. We'll (laughs) we'll give Tim something to do. Well, I'm not having bridesmaids. Anyway. You you want to see Tim in a dress, is that it? (laughs) He's done it before, he'll do it again. Kev says that he'll see what he can do. So when the next bump into him, they offer him the role of Chief Usher. He wants to know who he'll be in charge of. They point to Seb, who's there to explain what's going on in another storyline. Tim is made up and gleefully runs down the street, telling Sally his good news on the phone. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Like a child. Yeah, well, Tim's been kind of childish all through Friday. All through the history of the show. Showing off his chest here. Because let's remember, you know, what is it, two weeks ago when he and Steve were being very childish about getting to drive a hearse. Yeah. I typically find Tim being childish funny. I found that kind of funny. Yeah. It was like a wee boy running down the street. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it gets old after a while. And then when you see him like being like an, an adult, like in the whole face stuff, I don't know. It just, meh. Well, you've managed to encapsulate that storyline perfectly. And I just some grunts and I've, a shrug. Well, because once again, this is this is trying to soothe someone else's ego in a way that's not what Abby wants, but she's just going along with it to make somebody else happy when it's her day. Mm-hmm. 
All, all I could think of is that I will be really, really happy to see Gemma and Chesney in their karaoke wedding. <laughs> Someday. Someday, give me that karaoke wedding. I'm not even sure for that. I don't either, <laughs> but I just want to see it. Okay. Right. I think the writers are creating a rod for their own back with this, but <laughs> sure. Our next story. But see, that was meant to be. I'm sure that was meant to be the fluff. That was meant to be right. the fluff funny bit. Yeah. That the only thing that it really did was it made Abby and Debbie not really hate each other as right. much as they did going into it. Right. Yeah. That's the one good thing that came out of it. But it also just makes Abby a walking mat for everyone else on the show to force her to be something she's not. Hmm. And that makes me sad because I like Abby and I like her just the way she is. I do like that tattoo, whatever it was. <laughs> it made me look at my arms thinking, you know, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Got this, lots of space in this arm. I know. A little bit less space in this arm, but... Once I'm vaccinated, I'll make an appointment for a medic tattoo. Oh, what are you getting? I don't know yet. Um, I've got a list. Our next storyline today, mm-hmm. Born to Ron. On Monday, Ronnie bumps into... Oh, okay. Grace and Michael. I wasn't I wasn't doing two Emmerdale gags this week. I'll save that for next week. I, Ronnie bumps into Grace and Michael who are about to get their three D scan. Ronnie asks if they're going to find out the sex. Grace doesn't want to know, thinking the surprise will get her through the labour. Michael wants to know so he can uh, paint everything blue or pink. He asks Ronnie's or yellow, opinion or green, which or white. flusters him somewhat and then he suggests a piss up, which is all he's really done so far, which can then be a gender reveal party. Grace is dead against it, thinking the party sounds worse than childbirth, but when Michael says that she could get a nice surprise at the end of it, she seems to come round to this terrible idea. Right, yes. People have died at gender reveal parties. They should not be a thing. I've read the headlines, but I've never read any content. Why are people dying at gender reveal parties? (laughs) Because people are doing, like, pyrotechnics to, like, explode pink or explode blue. so they're not fighting? No, no, no. They're getting shot accidentally or you know hit accidentally with pyrotechnics or in inhaling or ingesting chemicals yeah it's another just a dumb idea. yeah another top quality american import i know i was like oh no please tell me this isn't becoming a thing in the uk you're welcome uk fewer pyrotechnics in the uk though although i guess you can buy fireworks anywhere in the uk it's not like guns yeah yeah because yeah. people, our, our British friends are always complaining about fireworks at weird times. They sit, they, they want to move over here. They, they, there's fireworks far more often over here in the middle of the day when nobody can see them. Not really. Yeah, really. Only only in certain times of year. It hasn't really been very not, many not, fireworks. Not, not, not really, but only calendar specific. <laughs> Michael gets home from the scan and Grace has gone along with the plan. That rings as well. Yes, it does. She's dropping the results for Tracy to make uh, some things, I don't know, for a gender reveal party. Ed like a balloon or something. about the expense once he learns what a gender reveal party is. But Michael <laughs> says that Ronnie's paying for the lot and Ed is not happy with this, thinking that he's getting shown up. Right. James thinks that he's just feeling sorry for himself. So Ed, who doesn't work at the factory, goes around to the factory to apologise to Michael, who I forgot had worked at the factory, and to insist that he's going to be the one to pay for this stupid fucking party and he's off to dig out his tie with budgies on it. Right. Or parrots. Is it parrots? 
I think it's parrots. I think they landed on budgies. Ed explains all this to Ronnie in the pub, basically telling him to keep his nose out. Ed goes for a shite, and then Ronnie's mystery levels take a little rise when he gets a call from someone he doesn't want to speak to, and he lets them know this in no uncertain terms. Yeah. Who could this be? Hmm. On Wednesday, Grace and Michael are in Roy's Rolls, drawing up a list of party items to source. In comes Ronnie, who announces that he has a present for the baby he needs to get in the house, so Michael explains where the key is hidden. Under a flower pot. <laughs> Belter. <laughs> Then when Grace mentions that she'll be busting it into town because Michael has an important meeting, Ronnie offers to pick her up. So Ronnie's wrapping a present in the house when there's a knock at the door and he shouts someone to come in and then this very sophisticated looking woman comes in and all, all the liquor dens across the galaxy. I find you in a terraced house in a depressed, nameless part of the Northwest, she says. She knows that she messed up, but she begs him to come home with her. She's still his wife. Timbot4000 says who eats chili con oh. carne without rice. Well. <laughs> All of America. It, be, it bears repeating. Timbot4000 says shit just got interesting. That as well. In fact, <laughs> more that than the first thing you said, Timbot. Because now Ronnie has two mysteries. Yes. What's the deal with his wife and right. why is he here in the first place? Except we know the answer to me. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. Meanwhile, Grace is outside, fresh goes, which, I'm sorry, they need to update their their livery. That logo is straight from the 1970s. <laughs> 1970s. Do you think it doesn't really work with 70s. Pale blues and... 80s. It does work with 70s, of course mm. it does. And she leaves a message with Ronnie to tell him that she's ready to get picked up, but hold on, wait a minute. She needs to pee again. Give me 15 minutes, she says, and she heads back into the store where hopefully she'll buy a pair of jeans without a fucking hole in the knee. <laughs> back in the house. You sound like an old man. Ronnie's wife explains, I'm an old man. <laughs> Ronnie's wife explains the convoluted means that she employed to track him down and then accuses him of shacking up with Aggie. What? Ronnie puts her straight on that score and there seems to be something else going on here. Something about Ronnie refusing to introduce his wife to their baileys of her and not inviting them to their wedding and... Well, that kind of stuff. He's embarrassed because she's half his age. Is that why, you think? I don't know. Ronnie wants her out. There's a party to organise, but his wife, who's still unnamed at this point, thinks this is an ideal time to meet the family. Grace has had her pee and is heading back to the spot to wait for Ronnie when the store security guard comes up and wants uh, wants to see a receipt because it looks like she didn't go through the checkouts. Grace explains about her uh, propensity for urination, but it cuts no dice, and she's led back to the store. Right. He's like, you didn't go through the checkout, and yet all of your stuff is in bags. Right. So apparently, you see, you had to have gone through a checkout at some, at some point. point. Also, there are secure, there's CCTV footage, I'm sure, of her going through the checkout. This guy's just a dick. I mean, obviously, but still. It's just... <sighs> in an office... Grace is hunting through her bag, but she can't find the receipt, and her phone's out of charge because the plot gods demanded it to be so. The guard goes off to check with his manager and call the police, and he locks Grace in the office. When she realises this, she looks like she's going to go into labour. I found this very triggering. You did? Mm Mm-hmm. When I got caught shoplifting, that was what happened to me. You were locked in? They locked me in the office, yeah. They locked me in the office. Of course, Grace is not shoplifting. With my friend. She was also shoplifting with me. He locked us both in the in the office. And just before the guy came in, 
I pretended to steal something from the office, <laughs> and I, and we all we both found this hilarious. And that was when the police came in, and that didn't create a very good first impression to the police when mm-hmm. we were laughing when when they came in. Of course, neither one of you were pregnant at the time. I I just got the all clear. <laughs> it was a false alarm. It was I, just I, chilly. I had a, a very strong curry the night before, and. But yeah, I peed on the stick and it was fine. We learned that the woman is called Cat. I presume with a K. Right. So is it Catherine? Or Katrina? One of the two. Or just Cat. We don't learn what has gone bad between her and Ronnie, but we do learn that the reason that, that he's so keen for her to leave is because he was with Aggie before Ed was on the scene. Ed knows nothing about this, but Aggie got knocked up as soon as she and Ed started dating, and Ronnie needs to know if Michael isn't really his nephew, but is his son. And at this, in comes Ed. Who's this? And this is ridiculous. Like, she breaks up with Ronnie, starts dating Ed, and then just magically ends up pregnant shortly thereafter. The timeline there just does not work for me. Why? Because that's not the way it works. <laughs> Unless they started sleeping with each other immediately, like on their first date. You've seen Ed, of course they did. <laughs> of course they did. I, no. I, and then, you know, the first time they... Like on their first date, they had sex. Yeah, you and were she about became to say pregnant. <laughs> you were about to say something, then you stopped saying something. I was basically just going to say the same thing that okay. I, that I said. It this it, the the it's, the timeline's a little muddy. Yes, yes. Thinking on his feet, Ron introduces her as his business partner. So not only did they weren't they invited to the wedding, they didn't they've see never any photos her. of it or yeah. anything, they, and they've never met her. Thinking this is weird. Ronnie wants to rush off to pick up Grace, which makes Kat curious to know who Grace is. Ed describes her as Michael's sort of partner who's having their baby, but they're not together. Ed goes off to do a job, but not like that. And Kat immediately turns on Ronnie for trying to break up a family just on a hunch. And she's not wrong, she's not but wrong, still, I'm... somebody needs to pick Grace up. <laughs> Grace is still locked in the office and manages to get an outside line on the phone, but Michael's in that important meeting, I guess, so his phone goes to voicemail. Right, she calls Michael before she calls an ambulance? <laughs> and then she calls Ronnie before she calls an ambulance. She gets Ronnie at home and explains that she's in labour and also locked in the security office. Ronnie says that he'll get her at the hospital now. <laughs> Although, how that's going to happen, I'm not sure. And then Grace hangs up because she's done with stupid people for today. Ronnie gets to the hospital and is very very apologetic while Grace worries that she's going to lose the baby. It's ten weeks early. Ronnie explains that Michael is on his way. Then the security guard shows up to apologise. But Ronnie is in no mood, accusing him of racially profiling a black pregnant woman. Sorry, love, says the guard, and off he goes. And in amongst this, Grace has found her receipt after all. Right, yeah. Here's your fucking receipt, you asshole. I'm pleased that despite uh, going into early labour that she continued to search through her bag (laughs) for this receipt. No, I just need to do this. Right. I need to do this and then I can concentrate on being in labour. And I'm sure it was like his manager, somebody who said, all right, you need to clean this shit up. You need to go and you need to apologise to this woman Mm -hmm. because this looks really bad. It does look bad. Because it is bad. 
was it the same kind of racial profiling you think that was uh, on view when Michael was stopped at the tram stop? Yes. It's the same. Yeah. Yeah. Do you really think that security guard would have gone up to a pregnant white woman and said, I, you know, I saw you walk out with the stuff and you didn't go through the checkout line and I'm going to lock you in this room. Do you really think that would happen? I don't know. It wouldn't. I don't know. It seemed that that the Michael one was definitely. Yeah, this was definitely. And I thought this was probably. No, this was definitely. I think you only think probably because once upon a time, you actually did shoplift and was locked in an office and and you're white. Um, But... You were actually caught doing it. I was Whereas guilty. She yeah. was. It, like I said, it's ridiculous for them for him to drag her in and accuse her and everything, when all he had to do was like go up to his office and look at the CCTV and see. Oh yeah, because she's not going anywhere. She's sitting down. She's like, I'm waiting for my ride. The thing that made me think that it probably was was that if he saw her going out. He probably saw her come back in. Well, no, it, he saw her going out the second time after she went for the pee. Yeah, but these guys stand at the at the entrance and exit. Right. Yeah. So, so he had to have seen, seen her the first in. time. But he go must out. have seen her come in with bags. Right. He must have seen her go out with bags the first time, and then come back in with bags, and then go out again with bags. Right, and that's a bit that made me think that it probably. It probably was. Yeah. Yeah. But he the, wouldn't go out really of his, addressed. Right. And the fact that he goes out of his way to go outside, see her. And also, if she was stealing things, would she be sitting right outside the store with her bags on a bench right outside the store? The fact that he makes such a big deal of it and then drags her back in and then locks her in. See, I think it, it didn't become a big deal until he locked her in. No, it was already a big deal because, you know, he wasn't he wasn't listening to what she was saying. Well, she wasn't presenting anything that was proving that she didn't. Except, of course, for the fact that the fact that the stuff that she's got is in bags. I mean, yeah. she had to have gone through the check-in well, line. I guess you could turn up with empty bags. We've got tons of Meyer bags. You could if you wanted to. Yeah. But he had to have seen her. Yeah, and that, that's a bit that confuses yeah. me. Also, there are other ways to prove that she didn't steal the stuff, like the CCTV footage. Yeah, which is kind of, well, let's go back and we can look at the the cameras and stuff. Yeah. But don't need to lock in an office to do that. And the fact that she's very much trying to prove it, you know, that she's like, well, no, let me look at my phone. You can see my, you know, my charge. And then getting upset because her phone's out of charge and stuff. I mean... She's trying very hard to... Right, and that, that, that's, that's, I think, what I'm saying is, like, it was all... It wasn't heated. There was no um, antagonising the situation. She was trying to rectify the situation. Right. This could have calmly been resolved back at the supermarket by looking at the cameras. Nobody needed to be locked in anything. Right. It's a kind of locking somebody in something that I've found... And dragging her back into the the store and everything because I'm sure he's got a walkie on him. He could have called up to his manager. He didn't even have to leave the room to talk to his manager. He could have probably called him on the phone. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't like the locking bit. No. So later, Michael Burson, have I missed it? 
It's all about you, isn't it, Michael? The area around Grace's bed isn't exactly a haven of calm as Michael panics about the baby arriving early and Ronnie insists on talking about the racist security guard. Outside the ward, Michael is still making it about him and his baby, but more enthusiastically he's arguing with Ron about why he was late picking Grace up. Ed comes in and calms the situation and tells Michael to go to Grace and then tells Ronnie not to beat himself up about the whole being late thing. Then Ronnie goes to get coffee and when he comes back he's in an emotional wreck. Ed knows something is up and demands to know what. Ronnie says he can't do this anymore and he explains about him and Aggie getting it on when they were just kids before she met Ed, he's very careful to say. Mm-hmm. Well, Ronnie was married. Right, yeah, it's like... Well, Ronnie was... <laughs> Ronnie not was, not to this one, though. Yeah, to another one. To another one, right. Because this one was not even in utero at the time. <laughs> I thought so, no. <sighs> Did they even think about... Or maybe this, maybe this is just Ronnie. Maybe Ronnie just keeps on managing to find younger models. Right, because Aggie's younger than Ronnie as well. Because isn't Ed his younger brother? Oh, I'm not sure about that. I don't know if it's been mentioned. Hmm. But this isn't about them. It's about Michael. Ronnie thinks Michael is his. Ed does that laugh that he does when his face doesn't move. But then he t- he doesn't think that this is funny. Ronnie can't miss out on being a granddad. Ed tells him to back the fuck off. Outside, Ed calls Aggie. Right, and he's ridiculous too, because he's like, Michael is yours, of course he's yours, you're the one who raised him, blah, 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 but I don't want to miss out on being a grandfather. And it's like, well, if Michael is, for all intents and purposes, Ed, then you're still not a grandfather. (laughs) Outside, Ed calls Aggie and gets confirmation that yes, she got her hole off of Ronnie, but no, Michael is Ed's. She just knows. And at that, Michael and Ronnie run out of the hospital. Michael's a daddy to a beautiful daughter. He saw the baby come out, so he's sure it's Gracie's. That was, that was quite funny. <laughs> that was funny. I like that part. And then he says, I've seen the unseeable. <laughs> they all celebrate, and while Michael is distracted, Ed throws daggers at Ronnie. On Friday, mother and baby are doing well, although Grace is worried that the baby came early as a punishment for what she put Michael through earlier in the year, or last year. Michael insists that they put the past behind them and focus on what they have now. Michael goes home and starts gushing about the baby and parenthood and how it's all wonderful, just to get Ed's knickers in a knot about how Michael might not be his. All that notwithstanding, Ed is very keen to see this maybe granddaughter of his. But this has really knocked Ed for six, and even when he FaceTimes Aggie, who still insists that Michael is his, he can't stand the thought of her and Ronnie being together. Their marriage was built on honesty and trust, apart from that time he was gambling their house away. And now it's, <laughs> and now it's for nothing. Then there's a knock at the door and it's Ronnie's complete with a pink teddy companion and Ed looks like he's about to kick his brother's teeth out of his arse. Ed tells him that he's not welcome at the house or at the hospital and the argument is only brought to an end when James comes out, but not like that, and tells Ed that Aggie's <laughs> on the phone. Come out like right, that. And Aggie's on the phone for him. Ed slams the door in Ronnie's face and Ronnie has a look about him that this isn't the first time somebody slammed the door in his face. Hmm. Chatting again with Aggie, Ed says that he feels second best and that she married him out of spite. <laughs> she points out that if that was the case, she'd have hightailed it away when he financially ruined them. And he's like, oh, don't you turn this on me. But love is what keeps them together. He needs to know if she loved Love Ron- will keep us together. She needs to know if she loved Ronnie 30 years ago. And in tears, she admits that she probably was in love with him. But that was before that she met Ed. And right. she reckons that he must And before have- she found out he was married. And she reckons that he must have been in love with people before he met her. 
That's yeah. different, he says. How? <laughs> she loves him now. She'd marry him again tomorrow. Don't let this be the thing that destroys their marriage. And he says that he needs to sort his head out. Yeah, no kidding. Then he gets a call from Michael. He needs Ed at the hospital to start. The baby is having trouble breathing on her own and she's back on the ventilator. Plus, she's going to have to be kept in for 10 weeks uh, until the due date. And James, At least. Yep. And then James reminds Michael that he has to keep his strength up while Ed is distant as he looks on. And in a quiet moment, Ed reminds Michael that you never stop worrying about your kids. It's just that after 18 years, you stop noticing. <laughs> Outside, Ronnie shows up, which angers Ed, but they have to cool their jets because James shows up and then Michael. The baby's name is Glory. Ronnie thinks Grace and Michael will be back and forth like a fiddler's elbow while the baby is there, so he offers to buy them a car. And before Ed can protest, Michael has accepted and rushes off to tell Grace. Do you think her middle name is Hallelujah? No. (laughs) Ed concedes that this was a nice gesture. And Ronnie says that he never meant to cause Ed and Aggie trouble. Really? Right, yeah. That's Seriously. as far as we get with that this week. Oh, I like the name Glory. It's an unusual name. Yeah, but it's but it's cute and it's it's pretty and I like it. And she's Grace. Yes. So there's going to be a Grace hope and, and a charity and a, and hallelujah and other things. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Yeah, after 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 I said it, I was like, "Oh wait a second, that's the battle hymn of this republic." So it'd be kind of weird if a British person was named Glory Hallelujah Bailey. No, I think it still works. Yeah, Glory Hallelujah Bailey. Yeah, and there's some some Hallelujah is a bit jazz hard, isn't it? That <laughs> <laughs> is a bit. And then there, there there's some talk too about what Glory's last name is going to be and all these men, blustery men are like, well, of course it's going to be Bailey and not Grace's last name that I have already forgotten. It starts with an O. Does it? I think. Yeah. I'm glad Michael is really a daddy now. And I really like, I really like that scene. That it's Grace Vickers. Really? Huh. Anyway. Or Grace Ovickers, as you've been hearing it. She's got a bit of Irish in her. Who knows? But anyway, I... The Ronnie stuff is ridiculous. We already kind of knew that this whole Michael Bean, his thing, was going to be a thing. Kind of knew. But now... Just kind of knew. Stop. But now they've dropped in a much younger wife who's never met the family and yet knows that he had a fling with Aggie at one point and thinks that he's shacking up with Aggie when Aggie and Ed are together. And none of that makes any sense. And it's weird. And it just, it adds a mystery we don't really need. I'd like Ronnie to have a third secret. (laughs) Maybe he's a polygamist. Maybe he's still married to his first wife as well. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's not allowed to show up with this other woman. And he's... He's also a drag queen. (laughs) I would like to see it. I would like to see that. Um, (laughs) Actually, really would. But uh, anyway, um, the fact that he's had two wives and no children... And that's why he's so desperate to have Michael as his son now. 
because it, apparently he's too old to have children now with his much younger wife. Well, there's something funny going on there as well because we don't know what happened between them. We just know that she's sorry for something. Right. So what I'm there that made him run off and what made him run off in this direction after all these years. Right. And why... And again, the whole timeline doesn't really work as far as like... Aggie does not seem like the type of person who would break up with somebody and then immediately start sleeping with somebody else like the very next day, which is kind of what would have to have happened unless Michael was a preemie, which he wasn't. We've not heard anything about Michael being born premature or anything. And the way Aggie talks about Ed and how she knew she wanted to be with him and everything when she turned up pregnant with Michael makes it seem like they were in an established relationship when she got pregnant with him. And I think the show has really backed itself into a corner because they're like, oh, we're going to make it seem like maybe something happened there, but we don't want Aggie to look like a bad person, like she cheated on Ed, so how are we going to do this? But I like I like the Grace and Michael stuff. I like the baby being born. I totally understand the whole concern about it being premature and everything because all of my kids were premature. Uh, some more premature than others. And um, and having to see them in the incubator and the vents and all that stuff. That is traumatizing for young parents, especially one who's already lost a child, as Grace has. Right. Um. And I really wish they'd really just focus on that and on Grace and Michael trying to figure out their relationship and, you know, and caring for this new baby and everything and just drop all this ridiculous Ronnie Ed and Aggie stuff because it really kind of takes away from from something that could be quite nice. Well, I think they're trying to give... They're trying to get everything in. They're trying to give something for Michael to do and then something for the older Baileys to do. Right. But it doesn't like, really all have to be all the same storyline, essentially. Well, I think they're going to go their, the storylines will go their separate ways, I think. But the I like Ronnie. I think Ronnie's a good addition. I think he's a... <laughs> I, I like him so much that you've punched the microphone. Um, the microphone punched me. The bits... I, I, I can forgive the, the timeline thing not being 100% plausible. What I really had a problem with was Ronnie and they had their brothers. Right. And all this happened before Ed even met Aggie, so Ronnie was hiding girlfriends from his brother even when they were grown up. Well, uh, he was hiding girlfriends that he had while he was married to somebody else, yeah. Oh, I suppose. Aggie yeah, I would have been, I, I keep on forgetting that bit about him. Aggie would have been. See, that's probably married. why they made him married in the show. Well, we have to make him married so that he wouldn't have introduced Aggie oh, to Oh, what a Ed. tangled web we weave. There were, there were moments that stood out that I really, really liked in this. Like, I liked, um, you know, towards the end when James, which finally, James gets some lines in the show. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> Uh, James and Michael and, and Ed are there and um, James has talked to Aggie on the phone and then Aggie calls Michael and James is like, no, mom says, you know, you need to go and you need to eat something. You need to keep up your strength and everything. And you've got, you really see the Baileys as this cohesive unit that really supports and loves one another. And you can kind of see on Ed's face that he's 
that he's realizing how valuable Aggie is as as a mother and that she truly loves him and she truly loves these boys and everything. And I think that's really nice and it's not something we always get from the Baileys. Um, so so that was really nice. Still no Dee Dee, but we did get a mention of her again. Right. And you can see her in pictures. Like there's pictures of the whole family in the flat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. If they focus more on the on the Michael and Grace and the baby stuff. Kind of warming to Grace a little bit, I have to say. I'll be happy. Yeah. And, you know, I hopefully, hopefully the racism stuff isn't already just forgotten and cleared. Hopefully that security guard gets some comeuppance. Well, I hope. So you kind of worry because nothing happened about it on, on Friday. No, because they're all focused on this other stuff now. So it seems like... Once again. Once again, racism is solved in, in one episode. Thank goodness. But really, they really need to... Freshco's needs to go down anyway, especially after what they did to poor Gemma and Chesney in another storyline mm-hmm. a year ago. You don't know the half of it. Our penultimate storyline of the week is Troll Wars. On Wednesday, Stephen Cather chatting outside the cabin. He's excited because his fundraising efforts are in the Gazette tomorrow and he asks for a few copies left aside. No problem, says Brian, as long as you pay for them because your paper bill is way overdue. Steve's embarrassed by this. Thought Ken took care of it and promises to pay next chance it gets. Yeah. Inside. Brian shouts at him in the street about owing 40 bucks. And saying, instead of saying, all right, and then quietly, when Steve comes to pick up the paper, say, you know, mate, you still owe us 40 bucks. I've had a news agent shouting me for owing them 40 quid before. So this feels God, like, very written out wait, in my did life. Did they just write out your life for this, <laughs> for this week's episode? I was walking by the news agent, and it was very much a, a situation that was like that, where, the, um, where it came out and said, are you paying your... You, you, you paying your papers anytime soon and I was like oh shit I thought I thought my wife had paid for it no yours and that was like, like 40 45 what were you what were you subscribed to that it was, was the times oh fancy oh. <laughs> we got the Sunday times that's what really pushed the price up yeah so Steve uh, insight Kathy is uber pissed at Brian Steve's just lost his wee boy Brian is a poster boy for capitalism they're running a business and he owes 40 quid if they gave out freebies to everyone with a sob story they'd never make any money Kathy has heard enough and pays Steve's paper bill from her own pocket and the Rovers is a poster for Steve's fundraiser Kathy and Fizz chat about it Kathy's still guilty about uh, before and thinking about donating some more money Fizz suggests that she does some fundraising of her own maybe a car wash or a window wash washing stuff in general is very popular these days Cathy catches Tracy on her way home from another storyline and explains about the newspapers being paid off and then she's made an ideas board that she'd like to discuss with her and Steve about further fundraising. How about a barn dance? Tracy says that she'd rather stick pins in her eyes and she says her family's not Cathy's grief project and goes in leaving Cathy to say, well I never, to no one. Seriously, and... I'm all for Tracy being a bitch, but that was completely called for. Yeah, it was so manufactured. And I mean, yes, she's coming from another storyline where somebody sat in beetroot and somebody's going to have to pay five grand and she didn't get to enjoy being mean to Debbie as much as she had hoped and she didn't really get the food that she'd hoped, 
you know, it was just a crappy salad that Debbie put together. She's the chef. Mm -hmm. But still, you know, the fact that she's very much saying, no, we don't want your help fundraising when that's the 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 whole whole point point Mm -hmm. of fundraising is just, what does she have against Kathy? All of a sudden. Right. On Friday in the cabin, Brian and Kathy are having a good old bitch about Steve and Tracy in the article about Steve's fundraising in the Gazette. Kathy blames Tracy's attitude on Brian and can't believe that the Kate Bush wannabe mouth almighty pished all over her fundraising ideas and offer for help. Brian tells it to be the bigger person to try again. Tracy's unloading the florist van with some designer bags. Someone's been treating themselves. She, Bernie and Kathy chat about Steve's efforts fundraising and Kathy again offers her assistance but Tracy is needlessly rude and seems to accuse Kathy's offer of selfishness on her part. Benny tells Kathy not to take any notes and get some cider with her in the Rovers. So Kathy and Benny are bitching about Steve and Tracy in the Rovers. The below-the-line comments in the Gazette online particularly infuriating Kathy. Emma overhears them chatting and says that she's told uh, Steve and Tracy that they need to get a break and Tracy has her eyes set on a posh French ski resort for a holiday when Emma leaves. Yeah, because when you think Tracy and Steve, you, you think skiing. Mm-hmm. And the Tunisian desert. Remember that? Mm-hmm. When Emma leaves, or was it Moroccan? It was, it was some Moroc- desert. <laughs> when Emma leaves, Kathy and Bernie begin to wonder how they could afford this and where the money went for the German doctor a few months ago. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Bernie reckons that they've pocketed the, the lot and then goes off for a shit, leaving Kathy to start tap, tap, tapping in her phone. At number one, Steve is wearing a shirt that makes him look like Mr. Blobby has smoked way too much dope, taken off white and thrown up down himself. He's checking the comments in the Gazette online and then amongst all the positive messages he finds loads of comments suggesting that they've ripped off Oliver's fund. The comment that kicked off the negativity came from someone called Lemon Drop. Tracy wants names. Steve can't believe someone would think that he'd line his pockets from the death of his son and Amy isn't for taking this line down. Then Cathy's in Roy's Rolls and she overhears Amy complaining to Asha about the trolls. Then Amy goes to pay Cathy for the papers, but Cathy says there's no charge, it's all been taken care of. Oh, that's really lovely of you, Cathy. Thanks, says Amy. Right. Cathy looks like she which wants is, the world to swallow her up. Which is exactly what Tracy should have done, but didn't. Right. Once again, somebody is mean to somebody, which makes somebody do something even worse. Mm-hmm. This keeps happening on the show. Yeah. So... Kathy's obviously behind the yeah the she's lemon drop right. yes mm-hmm. yeah she's picked a better name than that given that Brian loves his lemon drops right so they're going to think it's Brian yeah <laughs> okay so they're going to think it's Brian Brian's not going to have a clue what anyone's talking about it's going to deny it ah <sighs> so we're having a so troll storyline another one. Another troll storyline, because we've already dealt with Ash's trolls. Remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. So now it's new trolls, and it's like something, it's totally, Kathy would never, I don't think. And Well, I was thinking this as this harmed. I was thinking, would Kathy ever do this sort of thing? But the way Kathy let down Yasmin, mm, I think yeah, Kathy's maybe. kind of... She's got her, she has her moments. But, I mean... And you don't think this is true. But I do find it highly suspicious that, you know, that Tracy is buying all these designer things and expensive things all of a sudden, you know, and buying a new shirt for Steve, which is pink with stripes. Um, And 
wanting to go on vacation again. Two mentions of vacation during a pandemic yeah. this week um, to some posh place that just totally doesn't sound like a place that she would necessarily enjoy because we've never heard of her wanting to go skiing before. Makes me think that Tracy, unbeknownst to Steve, may have been lining her pockets a little bit, may have been tipping into the till a wee bit, especially the way that she's like, you know, she's talking about when when she was in when it was when it was her and Steve and Amy sitting in the in the house. You know, the way Tracy's like, oh, yeah, take a picture of your dad. And oh, yeah, we need all the money we can get. And oh, yeah, you know, it's really nice that people keep donating. And you should say something about this or that to get more people to donate. Seemed highly suspicious, especially since when Kathy says, oh, I'd like to make another donation or I'd like to help with fundraising. She pushes her back. That's very suspicious. I felt it's a little bit too blatant. And I feel like we've done stealing from uh, fundraising. If anybody on the street is going to be stealing from fundraising, though, it's going to be Tracy. Yeah, probably. Or Todd. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. On. Our final storyline today is, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> on Monday, Tyrone bumps into Elaine and Roy's roles. <laughs> She's working on her website and he calls her Miss Pop Dead Gorgeous. Right. When he realises what he said, he tries to insist that it's just a thing that he and Fizz do that nobody's ever heard of when they talk about people in their businesses like Mr. Roy's Rolls or Mr. Sexual Predator. <laughs> There's some definite flirting between them now and she gets him to promise <sighs> to like her Insta posts promoting her business and her first appointment and calls him Mr. Webster's Auto Centre. <laughs> Back home and after... Wouldn't Kev be Mr. Webster's Auto Centre? I think it's just where you work. I, I, I don't know what the rules of this game that didn't <laughs> exist until this week are. Back home and after Jenny questioned Fizzy's intentions to ever get married to Tyrone, she explains that this to him, but his attention is too far focused on... I don't know where this sentence is going. Back home and after Jenny's questioned Fizzy's intentions to ever get married to Tyrone, she explains this to him, but his attention is far too focused on Alina's website that he claims he's looking at a present idea for Fizz and the girls. All right, because nothing says seven-year-old girls like... A full manicure <laughs> right. and, and a brow wax. On Wednesday, Tyrone catches Alina as she walks by the garage to work. He asks about her business and she reckons that she needs a car to make a success of it because she's going to have to bus it. He offers to source her one, but she's already got something in mind. You think just because I come from car insurance, I can't effect? You think just, oh no, you think just because she's a girl, she doesn't know about cars? And she smiles as she heads off to work, leaving Tyrone to shake his head like Tom Sawyer did at the start of Fuckleberry Finn. <laughs> Later, Alina comes on to the screen in a wee Fiat with steam pushing out the front of it. Tyrone to the rescue, even though Alina says that she can handle it. Then Tyrone, who doesn't work at the factory, is at the factory explaining what's wrong with the car, but by the questions that Alina's asking about the diagnostics, he can tell that she already knows her stuff. If she liked beer and supported Weather County, she'd be the perfect woman, he says. For who? asks Alina, and Tyrone comes in his pants a little bit. <laughs> Back at the garage, Tyrone's But she doesn't like beer and she hates soccer. Right. Tyrone's explained to Alina that there's still a bit of work left to do in the car and at her suggestion, they decide to work on it together. So they do, and they get the car working and in doing so, end up with smudges of oil on their noses somehow. Mm-hmm. When Tyrone gets home, Fizz reveals that she's set up a meeting with Adam. All this wedding talk with Abby has reminded her that she should, uh, that they should both 
sort out their affairs. On Friday at Lena's, she excitedly goes off to work with a gift for Tyrone for all his help yesterday with the car. Sev mutters that Tyrone looks like a granddad these days. And after Alina goes, Emma quizzes him on how things are going romantically between the two of them. Emma suggests that Seb make a big gesture, show that he cares. Seb doesn't look like he gives a fuck, or is thinking. Alina heads round to the garage to give Tyrone his present, and as she's kind of sorting herself in the mirror of a car, she's blocked by Fizz, who briefly wonders whose birthday it is, and then starts some, some small talk about how the girls are missing Alina. Mm-hmm. Alina sees Seb and runs off leaving Fizz to wonder what the fuck that was all about yeah. While Seb manages to talk Alina into having lunch with him today While he appears to be giving himself a wee footer as he talks to her What? He was doing this <laughs> As he was talking to her It looked like he was footering Anyway Fizz has brought Oh, Kevin Brown. Fizz has brought But I took a little gif of it and it looks really bad And it looks so bad that I didn't post it Fizz has brought buddies to the garage for Tyrone, but his nose is out of joint because she's put Piccalilli on them just to finish the jar off. She further annoys him by reminding him about the meeting with Adam. She goes off leaving Tyrone in a huff, but he brightens immediately when he sees Elena come out of the factory. But when she's oddly shot with him, even Kev wonders what he did to piss her off. Mm-hmm. Back at the flat, Sepp has pulled out all the stops and made Alina a Romanian dish of tripe and big meaty meatballs with some Romanian wine. She worries about drinking when she has work in the afternoon, but he tells her some things are more important than work. Like his meatballs. <laughs> his big meaty meatballs. If puttering with himself was just the beginning, later Seb opens a bottle of wine, sticks his nose in it like he's checking milk, and then pours himself a glass. Sophistication out of the way, he starts to make his move. He wants to be more than just friends with her. They were great together, but she tells him that she doesn't think of them that way anymore and she's moved on. But you were gagging for it the other day when she said that she had the hots for someone, he says. Yeah, that wasn't you, she says. And then sensing that Seb's rage is building, she makes a smart choice and leaves. Yeah. Uh, it was all really creepy with having her say certain words in Romanian. and He's creepy as fuck <laughs> the entirety that he's in it this week. Jeez. Uh, except when he's talking to his mum at the end. She heads straight for the community garden where, of course, she's immediately found by Tyrone, who checks to see if she's okay. She says she's not. She says she's the worst person ever. He tells her that she's not that, that she's funny, beautiful, and knows her way around about a Fiat Punto. She tells him that she's falling for him, and when he smiles at this, she moves in to winch the face off him about a minute or two's walk from his front door. In in plain view of the street. He pulls away. What are you doing? I'm with Fizz. I never gave you the come on, he says. <laughs> she apologises. This will never happen again, and she runs away. He's all befuddled when he gets home to find that he's late for that meeting with Adam. And the meeting, thankfully, is brief. The house is in Tyrone's name, and as they're not married, they should probably do a will, says Adam. And when Adam leaves, Fizz thinks that they should get married. They've been engaged forever. Ty doesn't think marriage is something they should do for financial reasons. And so by having romance implied at her, Fizz storms out in the huff. And when she comes back, Tyrone explains that they always talked about getting married on a Greek island on a beach with ouzo toasts and plates smashing. Romantic. Just like Mamma Mia. Just like Mamma Mia. And this that was cute when they said that together. And this seems to win Fizz back. And then he heads out back to work again, warning her that he might be late getting home. There's something that he needs to sort out. In the meantime, Chess comes over and Fizz explains the events of the day. She worries that he doesn't know that she loves him. Chess wants to talk about him and Gemma, but he advises her to give Tyrone a surprise. 
Meanwhile, Tyrone is meeting Aline at the garage. He apologises for his reaction, but since they kissed, he's been able to think of nothing else. Not even Mamma Mia. What does it matter, says Alina. You're with fees, and she's not about to break up a family. Best just to forget it. And off she goes. So Tyrone gets home and immediately goes to bed, claiming to bail. Chesney comes in to collect the washing Fizz has done for him, and she reveals that she's only gone and booked their dream wedding on a Greek island, all on the credit card. Live your dream with the one you love, the website says. Tyrone is going to be blown off his feet. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Somebody posted on Twitter when I thought about who would be the first people to kiss on screen after the pandemic. I would have never guessed it would have been Alina and Tyrone. And they're right. Nobody would have nobody would have thought that this was going to happen. <laughs> nobody in a million years would have said, yeah, this makes sense. Because it doesn't. Did you see the little thing that the show posted on how they did that? No. Because they didn't obviously kiss. Right, yeah, obviously. It was all kind of camera trickery. Kind of, yeah. And angles and stuff. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Really well done. Yeah. Trying yeah. to find something positive in this. <laughs> that was really well done. I liked Chesney and Fizz hanging out and doing laundry. You fuck- and Chesney and Chesney, you know, bitching about Bernie leaving things in her pockets. I continually forget that they're siblings. <laughs> right. Like what the fuck's Chesney doing around there? And why is he talking to, to Fizz like he's known her his entire Oh okay. Right. <laughs> Yeah, there is that sibling thing. Right. Maybe that gives them some history. Right. I loved the bit where every time Fizz is trying to talk about something, Chesney turns it... Into a Gemma thing. Into a Gemma and him thing. Right. And to, to the point where Fizz says, we're not talking about you and we're Gemma ta- yeah. now, right? And he's like, oh yeah, sorry. You're fine. I quite like that bit. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> That's the only thing I like about the storyline is, is Fizz and Chesney getting a chance to hang out and complain about their significant others. There's nothing else that's good about this. No, there really isn't. There really isn't. I don't remember. I, I guess I guess Seb getting knocked back was good because Oh, that was I was actually quite scared for Alina at that point. Because he was very much Look, I've put all this effort into this right. stupid fucking lunch. Right. I want my hole. Right. Yeah. That was kind of how he was looking. Yeah. And later on, he tries to play it down when he's talking to Abby by saying, oh, I've just made a fool of myself. Yeah. But that isn't how it looked. It didn't look like right. he was uh, making a fool of himself. It looked like he felt he was entitled now to yeah. have another go in their fronties. And yeah. when that didn't happen, right. or that looked like it wasn't going to happen, yeah. he was... He was looking kind of angry about it. Yes, he did. Ugh. Plus, he sniffed a bottle of wine. <laughs> People sniff wine. It's fine. Yeah, you pour it and then you sniff it. Yeah. You don't sniff out the bottle and then pour it. Eh. It's fine. It, yeah, it seems like he really, you know, once he calmed down, he realized what an asshole he is. And that's good. At least he can recognize that he was a dick. Mm-hmm. So, at least he's not going to Abby and complaining that He's been that led he's on. been wronged and he's right. been let on because he absolutely wasn't. No, when somebody says that they're tells you that they're into someone, you don't automatically assume it's you, right? You because if it was you, they'd say I'm into you, or they could say if you want to be coy about it, 
then you could say that I'm into someone, but then you'd give them the eyes and the little ho-hee, ho-hee, ho signals, wink, right? Nudge, nudge. You wouldn't just... Uh-huh. I think she went to the bathroom after that. Yeah. She removed herself from the conversation. Right. Yeah. <sighs> but we... we the, the very first time that there was a conversation between Tyrone and Alina, mm-hmm. which was basically... Tyrone saying, you can stay at our house if you need to. And us saying... Wait, have they ever, ever spoken, spoken to, each to each other? Yeah. And Again, then, it's the show writing something into existence that should not happen. And then when she moved in, mm-hmm. and there was a kind of jokey, uh-oh, this is going to end with Tyrone walking in on Alina in the shower or something right. like that. Or there's going to be some kind of right. awkwardness in the house having having Alina there and it did happen you know, that that was that's right. what this has all been set up to have is this, right. l- this little bit of fun where there's a, a comical misunderstanding right. and, and people are embarrassed it's a right. it's, a, it's a comedy of of manners that is right that's and then us. we move on from it right at least fizz this week was normal fizz and wasn't ridiculing or mocking him for anything mm-hmm. so at least we have that because i really hated them having her like mock him for the whole Alina thing last week and the week before. Yeah. The first time was like, okay, fine. But when it keeps happening, it's like, all right. She's so right, doing it for fine. the entire episode. Yeah. Right. You're, yeah. You're actively now pushing them away. And you're yeah, actively enough. making this happen. Right. Because now you're just really planting the seed in his head. Right. If it wasn't already there. Yeah. And, and getting his male ego in a twist by saying that she's out of his league. Mm-hmm. Well, that just sets him up old. for a challenge, right? Anyway, the less said, the better. <laughs> Your moment of the week? I, I think it has to be that uh, meeting of the Baileys, you know, where James tells Michael to eat. <sighs> and, you know, and Aggie on the phone and everything, and Ed realizing what he's got here. Uh, is that a screenshot that encapsulates all that? Yeah, James. What do you think is the moment of the week? Don't say Sally twirling around in a dress. That was my moment of the week. I know it isn't the moment of the week, but that was my moment of the week. I don't know. To give it, hand it to James for... Well, no, it's not really handing it to James. James is a screenshot, but it's the Baileys coming together and James telling Michael to eat. And take care of himself because that baby and grace is going to need him and and calming michael down and everything and being supportive of one another and then just fucking finally giving james lines that are just oi that's not my responsibility bye fine Uh, grudgingly that is our I am Timbot4000 and I haven't a fucking clue what's going on right now. Right, well, what's happening is you're interrupting me, Timbot, at a very important part of the podcast where I'm supposed to be hitting a button here that's going to say... Moment of the week. Moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Um, Brian wittering on about capitalism. Oh, he didn't witter on about capitalism, I did. Yeah. Am I but, the boring moment of the week? Yes. He was boring moment of the week. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> no, but the way the I don't know, is it that or is it Sam with the history of curry? Or 
We're talking about sewing machines. I was kind of thinking maybe it was Sam and Simon pointing at the moon, which we didn't see, but it was referred to. <laughs> that was quite boring. No, see, I thought that was kind of lovely that, you know, that they're friends again. Sam and sewing machines. That's our boring moment of the week. That'll do. Boring moment of the week. If you've ever known far too much about curry and then insisted on telling everyone about it. Don't tell us about it. Don't tell us about it. So avoid the talk of the street at gmail.com, which (laughs) is our email address and also our address on Skype for voicemail and PayPal. If you want to chuck a couple of bucks into our virtual tip jar. We're at Curry Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Please check out our merch store and YouTube channel, links to which you can find on the Twitter bio or on the other stuff page of thetalkofthestreet.podbean.com. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more Talk Talk of the the street. Street. Cheerio. Bye.